Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Rocket IT podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today we'll be speaking with Robin Bienfe, founder and accelerator of Atlanta Tech Park and CEO of Emnovate, an executive advisory firm based inside the park's facilities. Before we begin to explore what it takes to enhance your business's services while remaining accessible to consumers, I'd like to introduce my co-host for today's discussion, Rocket IT's very own VP of Technology, Eric Henderson. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great. I'm excited to interview Robin and hear about her experiences working with growth-oriented companies and executives. That's great to hear, Eric. As a reminder, the resources mentioned in today's episode are readily available at rocketit.com. Simply head over to our newsroom and scroll down until you find today's segment. Now, without further ado, I'd like to say thank you to Robin for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Robin, before we dive in, let's get to know you a little bit. You're an entrepreneur and an investor, an advisor to a variety of businesses and nonprofit organizations, a public speaker, even a real estate mogul. Tell us about your background. How did you get started and what led you to what you're doing today? Well, you know, I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia with a father that was a math teacher and a football coach All right. and a baseball coach. <laughs> and uh, the cool thing is there were seven of us kids and each one of us very mathematically inclined wanted to do something in that space. Uh, five of us are girls, so we didn't play oh, football wow. or baseball. <laughs> so we were the statisticians on the team. You so, go. you know, somewhere along the line, you play your role. And I really liked architecture. So I started working in architecture at the high school and when they wouldn't let me in the woodworking class because they said well maybe she'll lose a finger and then she wouldn't be able to type and then she wouldn't have a job my dad was like ah you're letting her in the class so I got to get into the woodworking class and some other things but then I realized you know I really like this and I like the drawing aspect of it as well so I found myself a job in a civil engineering firm as their lead draftsman. I happened to walk in the door and say, I'll work for you for free because I want to check this out. And I uh, walked in the first day and the second day their lead draftsman quit. Oh. So I became the lead draftsman <laughs> by virtue of being the only draftsman Draft in the building. Right. Draft woman. Yeah. So I worked for a civil engineering and surveying company down in Valdosta while I was going to college and then found myself having the opportunity to go to England and uh, do my engineering work at Cambridge. There you go. And from there, came back to the United States, went to work for AT&T uh, in their semiconductor device line manufacturing shop. Love that. They closed the shop down after about 18 months because uh, another country was making our silicon at a third of the price. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, found myself looking for another job. And uh, me, out of about eight other people out of this huge manufacturing facility, got brought back into AT&T. And I was brought into Atlanta because I was the only one who was not a chemical engineer, believe it or not. <laughs> and they asked me, did I know anything about uh, divesting systems? So at the time, I divested AT&T's billing system. So I came and cut the billing system up into all of its parts. Now, wait a second. Your answer was, 
yes, I have lots of experience, or no. I, have I no will experience. here in a month. <laughs> I told him, you want me to cut something up? Sure. Yeah, I, I, was in, I did that. woodworking. I was in woodworking class. <laughs> exactly. That's what they teach. That's exactly. I can cut something up. That's not a problem. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the role I got was master files. So you uh, get all the master files, and that's where you have to break all the data up. Hmm. And in some cases, you have to get to understand the data very well. So I came in, and the interesting thing is everybody else is computer science. I'm engineering, different thought process. So we were automating all the bill transactions of the processing between the carriers. And to be able to do that, you really have to understand how the network is built. Mm. So your underlying business is understanding how your network runs, how it's built, and and then you can put charges against it. Um. Apparently, I learned that really fast because I moved from that job up the ladder sure. to becoming last man standing. I was under what they call a rule of 272, where hmm. you have to stay separate for a year before the baby bells are brought back together. Almost kind of felt funny. I was in, came in on the day one, we were breaking them all apart. And then on uh, my last, last yeah. year, I was uh, bringing them, some of them back together. But I was running the global network at that time and have, uh, at the time, about 15 patents with AT&T. And one of my last patents with AT&T was to automate their global network, uh, leveraging a mobile device. Ooh. And it just happened to be <laughs> a BlackBerry. <laughs> so the CEO and founder of BlackBerry called me on the phone and said, what are you doing with my BlackBerry over there? I said, I automated all field services within less than a year. He said, can you come and visit me? I said, sure. <laughs> so I went up to Canada, had a nice chat and talk with Mike Lazarius. He was the CEO and founder of BlackBerry. And he said, so when can you start working for us? Hmm. I said, well, I have to play out my rule of 272. He said, when does that happen? I said, the end of this year. He says, I'll wait. And he says, we'd like you to be our CIO. And hmm. I became the CIO the CISO, the CTO of software, and I ran, uh, in my later days there, the Enterprise Business Unit, which was a $9 billion business unit. So this was when it was still Research in Motion? Yes, yeah. and it just turned into BlackBerry right at the end. Okay. Hmm. And so when we transitioned the two CEOs in my last year uh, to an interim CEO, I told the board I was going to move on. So I packed my bags, and three seconds after my announcement went out, Samson called me on the phone <laughs> and said, will you meet me up in New York? And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> not going to say no to that. No, <laughs> no. Uh, Samsung is a very friendly group of people. So I met with them, and they, I told them I had to sit out for a year. And the short of all of that is uh, they said, Robin, what would you like to do? What do you think we need? So I flew over and got to see all of their strategies. For their different um, affiliates, is they have 83 affiliates, mm-hmm. which are different business units. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see several of those. And I said, you don't have any business services. And I said, why don't I help you build some business services? So I helped them build Samsung business services. And I stayed with that for about three years. And my last year, I said, you know, I'm really interested in building out R&D for 3D printing for a little aviation company across the street. <laughs> they said, Feel free to do that. Along with what else you're doing, we're fine. And at the same time, I was actually looking at investment opportunities for them to build out Samsung business services so that they would 
build it beyond the 300 million run rate we had it at. They wanted it up to around 6 billion mm. or more. And you can do so much organically. The rest of it has to be inorganic. And so I've kind of penciled in about 26 partners and 162 solutions that they should be looking at to drive that mm-hmm. scale. And then I realized if I can do that for them, I can do that for me. Sure. And I came back and met Lisa Calhoun at Val- Valor Ventures and uh, joined her practice to help be the innovation and technology lead for Valor. That's terrific. Yeah. So today we're sitting across the street from that aviation company. Right. And we're sitting in your building, Atlanta Tech Park, and that is housing a number of organizations, uh, 76, 76 I think, of us here, including yeah. Mnovate, exactly. a company that you founded. Tell us about Mnovate. What does Mnovate do? So Mnovate is an advisory service. Mm-hmm. So I want to help small, medium, and corporates grow and scale in a different way. Um, they will tell you a lot of people that innovation is no longer at the corporation. Well, actually, 85% of innovation from about five years ago, has left the corporation. So all innovation or real innovative capabilities are being built outside the corporation. So my job is to kind of mash up the corporate need with those entrepreneurs that are building that innovative capability. And that's what this is, that mashup. So this building makes it convenient, I suppose, uh, to have a lot of these companies under one roof. Yes. What's what's your vision here? What what do you imagine will continue to happen? Because we're pretty early in. Well, I think you told me yeah. founded in 2017. Yes. Or in 2019, I think you've got capacity for 100 plus organizations, but you've already got 76. Yes. Wow. You're going to be full. Have, you need another well, location. <laughs> there, everybody wants me to have another building. Yeah. No, I really believe that there's enough tech accelerators. I like the team out in the West Coast called Plug and Play. And Saeed has a nice uh, foundation. There's other accelerators. There's several up in Canada. There's a few in Dubai. There's one over in London. Mm. I just visited one called Station F in France. It's the largest tech accelerator over in Europe. Mm. And I really believe there's going to be an opportunity to collaborate. So I'm not looking to be a... um, uh, a commercial real estate <laughs> mogul, as you might have put it. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. Once you have two, that counts. <laughs> Your mogul status. Nothing we can mogul do. Status, you got to get rid of one of them. Nothing uh, we can do. Well, I like the building because you have to have a place to meet. Right. And this gives us a, a nice combination of people having their own office and their own open workspace. Mm. These are all tech companies that are software-based predominantly. Some have some hardware element to what they do. Uh, they're a mix. Predominantly, cyber uh, mm-hmm. is in the equation, and then you have, you know, media, biotech, and you have some med tech, and um, let's see, some payment services. There's sure. a little bit of mix. So everybody's got a little niche that they play in. But my innovate business, which is embrace innovation, allows me to coach those teams, mm. uh, and uh, also carry the liability uh, of software. Uh, capability if I have to help them build sure. actually some technology. Yeah. yeah. So help us out a little bit. Not everyone's familiar with these terms. When you hear terms like the uh, the venture that you were describing earlier that you're part of with Lisa, hear the term accelerator, we've heard startups, we hear about all kinds of uh, different terms. 
what do you mean exactly when you say an accelerator? How is that different than, say, a startup or how is that different than a co-working space? And so we are not a co-working space, which you would call conventional. Sure. It is co-working because we are in an open space environment, although I have uh, a lot of security around uh, your not only your physical space, but your logical space where you're working so sure. that developers are not peeking in on what you're doing. Uh, so it gives you some cloaking. But at the same time, your incubator, which we have one down the street called Prototype Prime, yep. is where a lot of good startups can go to get free services. Uh, they've got a great idea. They need to finish building out their team. They're trying to put together their MVP, which is their minimal viable product. They're in some stage of getting going. No when customers. You, no, no customers. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, they're trying to still solve, you know, what customer set maybe they want to mm-hmm. focus on or how they're going to solve what problem that they're attacking. In an accelerator, the company's already got traction. The companies here already have traction, already have customers, already have investors. Uh, a lot of them are already generating a lot of revenue. Some mm. may not be 100% profitable, but a majority of them are. In some cases, this may be their second mm, uh, sure. business, not their first. And most of these folks have popped out of a corporation. Sure, They're not popping out of school and starting into a startup. They're sure. popping out of a corporation because they couldn't solve a, com- you know, a company issue, a company problem. And that burning desire to solve that is what's driving their next step. Sure. They're either pushed off or it wasn't politically correct yeah, for them to do it inside the company. I had a buddy in Chicago at a big media company, and he um, tried to sell an idea for about five years. And finally, <laughs> he just got very frustrated, and yeah. he popped out, and he built the business himself. And the same company bought him back for $800 million. Wow. Expensive mistake. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he was there for a couple more years yeah. and same got problem. frustrated right? again yeah. and <laughs> popped out again. Well, you said 85% outside <laughs> the corporation. Yeah, outside so. the corporation. So it's very, it's very important for corporations to be truly aware and transparent that innovation isn't occurring inside their four walls and that they need to embrace the innovative spaces and entrepreneurs in this space. And give them a sandbox to actually even test or integrate with some of their products and services. Cool. Want to shift topics to uh, accelerating the growth of small businesses? You mentioned when you were working with Samsung that you propose a whole bunch of partnerships as a way to bridge that gap. For someone listening to our podcast, it might seem very far out of reach between the top of Samsung and where they are today. What are, what are some strategies or tactics that someone in a small business, maybe 5, 10, 25 people can use to kind of approach that topic? So even with a large corporation like Samsung, they have a partner portal. And if you have something that you think, okay, plays in the mobility space, it could be mobility testing. It could just be a solution. Security, leverages, sort of line of yeah. business app, something like that. You register on their partner portal. You go to their partner events. You start selling towards their product set. Mm-hmm. And once they see that you're bought in, yeah, yeah, a little bit of bought in, but but there's some stickiness mm-hmm. to your solution and their capability, you'll move up the ranks within the partner. And they, they start off with bronze and sure. then they go to silver. It's yep. typical with any, it's like a frequent flyer program. Mm-hmm. 
And for those that move up those ranks, they get more services and more capability. In fact, sometimes they'll get marketing dollars and integration. For a small company, I think it's vital that they have partners. Not each company has to build out even sometimes their sales team. Sure. Maybe they're a great technology and they just need to find a channel that really promotes them mm-hmm. and sells. And so if they can find a sales team out of another partner, why not? And by setting that partnership, you want to make sure that there's grounds for success. And if that success doesn't occur, there's grounds for moving on to somebody else or enlisting other partners. Okay. So if I hear you correctly, for someone like Samsung, that's driving a portal themselves, whereas for a smaller company, it might be integrating into an existing system until they have some leverage within that system and they understand what they're really about. Yeah, what I find very interesting is that the seven, just even the 76 companies here and uh, our you know, Valor Ventures portfolio companies, when they get together, they start kind sure. of... Overlapping a little. Yeah, yeah, they start chattering with each other and start building some of their capabilities together. Mm-hmm. Because one will bring something to the table that the other one doesn't have. And, of course, it's strength in, yeah. in the, that capability. And they figure a way out to integrate their products and then leverage uh, a selling relationships across both. Sure. Yeah, so it's very beneficial. That's great. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about uh, maintaining a owner mentality. So this is something we deal with even at Rocket IT. We have some team members that have a level of awareness and a mindset about them that is very owner-focused, as in they view the business as if they own it. And then we have other employees that struggle with this, and they may see it from where they're sitting and maybe not from other seats at the table. And so love to hear about your experiences in dealing with this. Well, you see two types of people. There's one that you hear, oh, you need to be at this meeting and you need to fly there tomorrow. Great. There's some people who will fly on their time. And there's people that only want to fly on the company's time. <laughs> and they they discern themselves really fast in both of those fashions. They, the one that says, hey, you know, I'm going to make sure that my eight to five or my window of time of being accessible to my customers and my customers can be internal employees as sure. well is there. And then I'm not going to get on a flight at 6 p.m. And then you see people that need to be somewhere the next day and they leave at noon sure. out of the building. and. Um, so that's your tell. That's your that's strongest tell. That's my quick, quick yeah. tell. The moment you ask somebody to fly somewhere and they pick during their daytime hours to fly and not during their personal time and they, the other shift. Hmm. And not that I'm trying to abuse somebody's personal time, but if you're a salaried employee. And you owner, signed up for this. Yes. Yeah. It's an owner mentality. If you want to be an hourly employee, I can make that happen for you. (laughs) (laughs) You're just not going to like the way that salary. Hiring, firing, privileges. You're not going to grow up in the business. Of course. You have to have an owner's mentality. I don't care what business you're in, even if it's in a business you don't like. You're there. You're signed up. You're an employee. I even found this of people that were generating intellectual property. Hmm. Uh, And even with my patents, I think it's funny. I want to use one of my patents out of AT&T and I went to go do that. And they said, that'll be a million dollars. And I kind of smiled and I said, after I commercialize it, you want money or you want me just to have money to use the patent? Just like here on the table. Here on the table, right there. And I said, "Um, 
okay, then I'll just ride a rhino with a patent because I wrote the patent. I can ride around it. That's fine. I I was just going to try the <laughs> easy approach. Nice. Right. I was being nice. So, but it's that same thing. It's almost like it's there's a, a me versus you mentality sure. versus an us. Tit for tat, transactional. Mm -hmm. But in, when you go to work for somebody, it's an us. Mm -hmm. You're at the table with them. They're paying you good money to be there. Yeah. Even it may not be the salary you want to make. It's still good money. <laughs> and um, you've agreed to provide a service to them. Yeah. And as an employee, you need to have an owner mentality. Sure. So is that something you can coach into someone? Or do you feel like they kind of come out of the box, they're one or the other? Um, I've tried to coach. And some are coachable, and then there's some that are just out of the box that way. Yeah. And no matter what you do, they don't want to travel on a Sunday evening. They don't want to travel in the evening. Now, you know, if there's medical conditions, there's always going to be that side that you want to take. But there's not this, um, hey, it's a work week. We really need to be there. And at the same time, you need to be in a 5 o'clock meeting on Friday. So, you know, I throw five o'clock meetings on Friday sometimes just to see <laughs> right. who's still at the table as opposed to everybody. Well, we were going to do the podcast then, but this is, yeah, this is the only time fine. we can do. So. But then I started um, hosting a little golf outing <laughs> on a Friday afternoon, yeah. and that seemed to keep everybody at the table. Sure, yeah. yeah. A little compromise there. Support yeah. challenge. There, yeah, right? support it. But, you know, not all businesses have that. You have to be at your desk to meet with your customer, be on the phone, be ready, be, be responsible, be available. Yeah. And there goes that, you know, are you going to pay me to use my mobile phone? Right. Uh, that one was a big, uh, and it still is in a lot of companies. Oh, yeah. You know, if you want me to use my personal device, mobile phone at sure. home, then you should pay me for that time. Um, no. <laughs> you know, you chose to have the flexibility. Yeah. And there's always going to be trade-offs. Of course. So it's, it's that how do you blend the two uh, to make that happen? So we're talking about the owner mentality. We're talking about uh, some folks are wired one way or the other, which has me thinking a lot about you've got five, six people in the room. You've got probably five or six different personalities. One thing that I've found is that sometimes some of my sharpest folks with some of the best ideas are the ones that are most reluctant to put those ideas out into the open. How do you draw that out of people? Uh, are, are you good at that? Do you know a way, a trick? Uh, to uh, to get folks that maybe have a good idea but are afraid to share it, to kind of get that out on the table? Sometimes you have to start with um, not being in the room. I have found that with me being in the room, sometimes with the team. Sure, there's is, a presence. Is, is suppresses some of that dialogue. Mm. Other times, I find that being in the room and not participating but facilitating and I'm the one standing at the board and saying, okay, what idea do you yeah, have? sure. <laughs> and what idea do you have? That when you call on them and invite them into the mm -hmm. conversation, sometimes that brings them out. Mm. Uh, I had a bad scenario happen one time. I had a person in a room that kept saying, if we do this, everything's going to crash. And the person wasn't speaking up loud enough. And um, the team went forward with something and everything crashed for about two days. Oh my goodness. Which was not good. And and <laughs> so, you know, in some in some instances that that little quiet voice in the crowd sure. is trying to warn of something that they can see and you have to make the team around them acknowledge that they're present and that they're trying to contribute mm -hmm. and they're all coming at it from a different vantage point. But mm -hmm. you have to be in the room to kind of call them out sometimes. Gotcha. Good stuff. 
Well, let's move on because I know that uh, one thing that is uh, hot on everyone's minds these days is uh, securing our networks, our intellectual property, uh, the very computers that we rely on every day. I mean, look around this room. We've got three or four, five devices uh, open and running all at the same time. Yet cybersecurity is becoming a really big deal. The bad guys are getting better and better at uh, uh, fooling people and getting into the networks. And so one of the things that I'm interested in is as you are working with these accelerated companies, these companies that are reach a certain size and certain potential, and they're ready to take it to the next level and grow fast, how do you sort of unchain them with all the security requirements to keep things safe? How do you balance those two things? It's got to be pretty tough. So in a lot of situations, you have to sort of look at where they are on the landscape. Uh, first, you want to secure their source code and make sure it's in a secure environment. A lot of theft of source code happens from an insider. Sure. Uh, so you want to understand what your insider policies are. Look around to see how you hired that person. And that insider status is is probably the weakest link for most companies, even big ones today. And that applies to many things beyond source code, right? I mean, yes. Any sort of sensitive data. Sensitive data and even access to, you know, um, to things that they're not supposed to have access to. Sure. But they have this awareness. There's a trust level with somebody who's already an employee. It takes your guard down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the new threat that's on the scene that nobody's really looking at, and it's a form of cyber threat, is that you're actually hiring a cyber thief inside oh, your business. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to weed them out. And mm-hmm. it's and they will come in, and you're thinking, how did I get this PhD who's <laughs> willing to work for me for 80000 a yeah. year? Is because you're not their first paycheck. You're their mm. second paycheck. You might small be their third in a small paycheck. Yeah, right. But it allows them to live in the nice country that we live in and, you know, be in another space. That's the hardest one to find. How do you do that? Um, it's um, There's telltale signs. Uh, there's little things that you have to restrict people out of. You have to create honeypots. Sure. To see who goes snooping around in the yeah. honeypot. I don't know if you saw this story recently, but the there's a lyrics website that thought Google was stealing their lyrics. And so they hid apostrophes in Morse code since uh, like red handed. And then they saw if Google uploaded that and then Google uploaded that. And then it's basically a honeypot, but in a more entertaining fashion. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, I would say for most organizations that is that most of them haven't even considered that that's possible. Right, even no, though it's very and, likely, and the small companies don't have the human resources to really vet that sure, type of activity. Of um, you need an IT department that's thinking differently. And when I say that, when you're a small or medium business, or even in this accelerating space, um, you need an outside lens. Whether that's bringing somebody in to uh, do a vulnerability scan sure. or a test, penetration scanning, yep. yeah, or even you know, and that's just a one-time shot. It's not a continuous. Mm-hmm. I used to build out uh, capabilities that would actually orchestrate around each individual, and what it would allow you to do is see what your patterns of usage of the systems were. That was your footprint, sure. and then at some point in time, if your footprint started looking yeah. strange. Or if you showed up in two places at one time, some other <laughs> things like that, two countries yeah, at two once, cities. little things like that. A lot of our data has already been stolen. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what you have to think from a personal perspective, 
is how can I do things to slow down anybody from sure. misusing it or modularizing can... data so that they don't have access to the full repo. Or... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, in our in our practice on this topic, uh, the number of meetings I've had with non-technical executives where they ask after they think something's happened, can you go back and surveil this event? It's like, well, you would have had to have asked me before it happened to be watching for the triggers that would make it happen. I tell them the toothpaste is out of the tube. <laughs> <laughs> Not never, sure you can read it or if you want to put it back in. Nobody wants that, I don't think. No. That's funny. Okay. One of the things that uh, you mentioned in our recent conversation outside this podcast is there's uh, something exciting going on on the road right outside our office here. Can you tell us about that? Sure. In fact, there's going to be a big launch event in August. Nice. So um, Sprint, who's the 5G provider, is uh, working with the city of Peachtree Corners to build out one of 50 R&D tracks for autonomous driving vehicles. And the test track is actually on our street, up and down in front of the park. And the cool thing is there's one track already built. We're going to be the second one of the 50 that will be built. And we, the park, will get a little space on the actual vehicle itself for sure. for all of our IoT um, entrepreneurs. Gadgets, mm-hmm. yeah. And we'll use That's it for exciting. Test, test capture and everything. In addition, uh, the track will also, as it's being driven on, will generate power. Oh. And it'll actually charge uh, the electric cars that come to park. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So we're going straight to sci-fi all the way yeah, right into August, from July to August, straight to sci-fi. Exactly. Okay, good. I was wondering when that was going to happen. It's good to found that out here today. Yeah, that's an exciting project. I am curious, as we've uh, we've discussed, security is a huge concern these days. Uh, we have folks that are trying to infiltrate every kind of system. And one of the things that's come up is I've talked with friends and peers. When you're talking about autonomous vehicles, does that create actually more opportunities for the bad guys to uh, infiltrate a system and maybe do something with a moving object like a car? Is that uh, something that's come up? Of course, yes. So you have to secure the communications. You have to secure the controls. Uh, You've got to do things so that the car only acts and operates with some type of signature. And that signature can be a voice signature, but that's also got to be secured. Gotcha. Good stuff. Well, let's move on because I know that I'd love to talk about autonomous vehicles all day, but so uh, would I. it is pretty <laughs> exciting. Uh, but I know that uh, we have a limited amount of time here, so let's uh, let's move on to the next topic. I mentioned that Eric is our VP of Technology at Rocket IT, and uh, in that capacity, he often serves as a fractional CIO for our clients. And what I was really interested to hear about is uh, you have quite a bit of experience coaching and working with CIOs, CTOs, and other executives. So let's unpack that a little bit. What do you do? Tell us about that part. So even when I was at BlackBerry and Samsung, I would be the CIO's CIO. So (laughs) and, and by thinking about that in those days, when they were trying to roll out mobility, they had never done that. So I would go partner with the CIO and help them build out their strategy around mobility. And now a lot of people have a mobile first strategy. Sure. So when you think about a mobile first strategy and being a fractional, a lot of CIOs and CTOs or even CISOs don't have a coaching peer. Sure. Somebody that they can bounce an idea Mm -hmm. off, they are alone. Um, They're actually under, under threat 
in a way, because a lot of them, their jobs are only good for 18 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. In the event something happens, uh, they're the first one that gets fired. And so they're on a hot seat. So they have to get things done quick. They have to be very mindful of what decisions they're making. And a lot of times they will do things that cover um, cover their corporate responsibility. I'll say it that way. <laughs> and and when they do that, they're doing it because the shareholders are asking for it. You know, the boss is screaming, you know, what if we get a ransomware attack? Sure. And and they, you know, their answer might be, you know, run. <laughs> if we get a ransomware attack, we don't have, you know, maybe they could stay. We don't even have money for disaster recovery. Sure. We don't mm-hmm. even have an offsite uh, or set up a location. Right. We don't have separate networks. We don't have this. We don't have that. And then you get somebody screaming at you, what's your ransomware attack plan? You know, what are you doing? And so having that access to an advisor, a fractional CIO or a fractional CTO, or even somebody that is in that technology space that can come and advise. And when I say advise, not consult, I I use the different. A consultant will come and tell you what you probably already know. And an advisor is really somebody there to make sure you're successful. I and, like that distinction. Yeah, and and to me, um, sometimes they'll bring somebody will bring a consultant in because they want to know that they want a you, seal of approval on what they already thought. Right, a third party to say whatever Robin's planning to do. It's really a third good. party said yes um, because they couldn't discern whether Robin whatever Robin's doing is is right. But an advisor at the table really is there looking for your success, and you need to hear from several different sources. Sure. And they should be really interested in your space as well as um, the technology. But you know, it's like anything else. You need to look at advisors at different through different lens. So it's more around coaching and less around trying to position solutions or something like that. Yeah, and an advisor can give you some puts and takes. Sure. Um, you know, and I hate to use the depends word, but you know, if your environment is set up with, HP equipment, somebody coming in and telling you, hey, you have to move everything to the cloud. You're, you're kind of like, okay, but I've got this investment. Mm-hmm. You're <laughs> um, not paying attention to the reality of the world right here, right? Right. You yeah. know, okay, I can throw this investment away, but now, you know, I, last year I talked them all into buying all this equipment. And now you're telling me you move to the cloud. Um, well, you say, well, make a private cloud out of your machines. Sure. And then you transition your backup recovery into a, a third, you know, third-party cloud yeah. solution. So you help them think through what they're doing, and even helping them market a little bit because a lot of them are technologists first, and then business people second, and they have to get to that balance where they understand that what they're doing has business impact. Uh, I really loved um, Ed Steinecke when he was at Coca-Cola. He's passed now, but. Um, uh, he actually was able, as a CIO, to be in the boardroom and at the table with all the other executives. Hmm. A lot of CIOs still report to the CFO sure, and are still seen as a cost center and not a strategic player. Yeah, we, we, we liken it to, uh, it's like buying a boat. Mm-hmm. IT is basically, you buy a boat, you just throw money at it. Occasionally the boat wants some money, you throw the money at it, and occasionally does something good for you. It's very different than something strategic. Well, as we move more into the digital space, your IT department and your CI becomes strategic. Sure. And if you're not treating them as a strategic member at the table, then you're not setting yourself up for future success. Mm -hmm. Love it. 
So, Robin, let's uh, let's move on to our final topic. I would love to know. You're a professional of multiple decades. We'll put it that way. You, you've been it makes me sound very old. No, I, and I don't mean it that way at all. <laughs> I mean you're a very experienced, capable person. How do you keep How do you keep growing? Because uh, you've accomplished a lot. So, uh, I'm interested. Uh, do you listen to certain podcasts, or are there books that you read, or publications that you like to stay on top of? How are How are you as well as a real estate mogul? Uh, <laughs> And an investor and entrepreneur, how are you continuing to grow and stay on top of your game? I I actually um, I, I don't have a one direct answer for that. It's almost like it's like <laughs> having your fingers in everything right. a little bit, um, but listening a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love listening to podcasts as well because I can do that and do other things at the same time. So I like multitasking. Um, in addition to that, I I like books, but there's not a particular book I would tell you is giving me one thing or the another. Book, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the thing I love the most is when I was at Bell Labs, I got to meet some of the smartest people on the planet. And then I got to run Bell Labs for several years. And when you're around those type of people, uh, you realize it's making yourself accessible for some of those like crazy minds mm-hmm. that are thinking about things all the time to go and have normally, a conversation. Normally wouldn't have a meeting with an executive very frequently. Exactly. Yeah. And you realize sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of the topics that are out there, blockchain. Sure. Uh, if you look at Frame Relay, it was a relay set of systems that's distributed. <laughs> blockchain is a very similar technology same layout, idea. same idea. Um, same thing with AI. AI has been out. For a long time. We're just now getting into yeah. where the compute power can 50, 60 years, right? Yeah. They've been working on it. Yeah. So it's not that a lot of these things are new ideas. I think we're just using them in new ways. Um, well, they're not viewed as crazy anymore. No. Right? Exactly. We went from and cryptocurrencies like, to Walmart using it for, I mean, this example's been used to death, but <laughs> Walmart using it for tracking leafy vegetables. Like exactly. That, that validates it a million times over what it was when... Bitcoin was bouncing between All the $100 in. to 20 grand. Right, so. right. And, and so even in that same space. So I like to continue to innovate. Uh, I had a little incident with my back over the holidays oh, no. and was staring at the ceiling for a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, so I wrote a patent. <laughs> there you go. Wow. It's <laughs> funny. I've hurt my back. Never was the result of patent. I got I mean, a patent out of my back this time. Crazy. Right? And so I do my first deployment in uh, July. So I, I think if you stay in that creative space, if you find that you're one of those people, um, you don't ever stop inventing. You just have to make a decision on which ones you invest in. Sure. Love it. Because they do take time and money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where can listeners find out more about Innovate or Atlanta Tech Park and how can they reach out to you? Come and visit us at the park. Come and see us. Come take a tour. Become part of the ecosystem and be a member. Uh, if you're a member of the park, you get time with me every month. Oh, huh. And um, as some of my um, ecosystem community partners and members here already say, once you've had an hour with Robin, you might not want one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> one was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I ask a lot of questions and we dig really sure. deep in what you're working on and we're trying to make sure that we're really f- you're focused. You're sure. making something that's worth making. Yeah, and that you're not running around to all these conferences and doing things where it's really not going to return the money. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you're, every penny that you spend, it's worth the investment. Yeah. Yeah. 
So is there a website we can visit? Yes, www.atlantatechpark.com. Oh, very easy. And Innovate.com yeah. uh, uh, as well. And that's E-M-N-O-V-A-T-E, correct? correct? Okay. Embrace innovation. Terrific. And with that, I think it's almost time to wrap up, and it has been truly an insightful discussion. Robin, from myself, Eric, and our audience of listeners, we want to thank you for spending time with us today. We appreciate it very much. To everyone tuning in, thank you for joining us. We hope this segment has provided you with a glimpse into scalable security measures that are needed to effectively facilitate your organization's growth. If you have questions about today's discussion, please feel free to contact us at marketing at rocketit.com or send us a message via any of our social media channels. Thank you.